0: If you turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And tonight we're going to look at verses 13 and 14. But before we do that, let's pray. And let's ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word. Uh, we recognize in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you have challenged us uh, greatly and deeply. And in just these uh, couple of verses here, we know that there is great challenge again for us. And so we pray that you would speak to us and that you would challenge us and help us to live for your glory. And that we would be led all the way are on the narrow way that leads to life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, Christians uh, sometimes uh, get called narrow-minded. You may have heard that uh, if you've watched an interview or something like that. You've heard uh, Christians called narrow-minded, and you may have been called that uh, as well. Uh, And it's intended... As an insult, isn't it? If someone came to me after my sermon and said, Steve, you are so narrow minded, they probably would not be meaning it as a compliment on the sermon. Uh, the definition of narrow minded uh, is having a biased or illiberal viewpoint, uh, bigoted, intolerant, or prejudiced. That's from the, the dictionary. So if narrow minded means not listening to others, if it means disrespect, if narrow-minded means hating people, if narrow-minded means not thinking about what we believe, well then of course it's wrong to be narrow-minded. But everyone is narrow-minded in the sense that everyone thinks that their way and their view is right. Even those that deny this are intolerant of intolerance. They're narrow-minded in how they view intolerance, aren't they? And Christians are narrow-minded in the sense that, according to this definition, we are biased. We're biased towards God's word, aren't we? And here in these uh, verses this evening, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus calls us to walk a narrow way. We live in a a world of choice, in a consumer society we can choose what clothes we wear, uh, we have a choice often of what food we can have for dinner. Uh, some families give all their children, apparently, different options of what they want and cook different meals for them all. But gee, And we have different choices as well, often in uh, places uh, or types of worship, don't we? Different religions, choose which one you want to follow. But Jesus Christ summarizes his Sermon on the Mount not with multiple choices. He gives us two. Do all roads lead to God? Not according to Jesus. He says there's one way. One road which leads to life. You have therefore two choices. The way of Jesus or the way that leads to destruction. Now the Sermon on the Mount is coming to an end here. Jesus has been telling us uh, not just words that we're to admire, but he's telling us how Christians ought to live their lives. And in the end, we're called to live it with God's help, his way, or we're to reject it and go our own way. And this, these two choices are uh, described at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, actually, in four ways. You've got two gates, two trees, two fruits, and two foundations. That's pretty much the summary of the, the end of Matthew chapter 7. So there's not many options, is there? There's two. And in terms of heaven, there's one. As I had, uh, when I was growing up, we had two choices for our dinner. You had the take it option or the leave it option. That was it. You could eat or you could not eat. And with Jesus here, it's very similar. He gives us two ways to live. Now, it's either his way to heaven or your own way to hell. Everyone is given one, is on one of those two paths. And this kind of choice uh, appears often in the Bible. Here's a couple of examples in the Old Testament. Uh, Joshua chapter 30 and verse 19. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that your children may live. And then Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So you see there in the Old Testament, God giving his people a choice. You can choose my way or another way, but there's really only two ways to live. And Jesus here in Matthew chapter 7, in these two verses, calls us to choose. And he does so by describing two roads, the narrow way and the broad way. And the command is given to enter, in chapter thir- in verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. That's the command he's giving. But we can choose to go either, either way. And Jesus is encouraging us to go through the narrow gate by comparing the two roads. So look at what he says in verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. And in these two verses, we have four comparisons. There are two gates. There are two roads. There are two destinations and there are two crowds. Two gates, two roads, two destinations and two crowds. And as we look at this, we need to consider how we are walking. So first of all, there are two gates. The comparison of the gates is that there is a wide gate and a small gate. Now, when Jesus talks of a small gate, He's talking of a gate that's like a turnstile at a sports ground. When you go to a football or a rugby match, you have to go through uh, a turnstile and you can only uh, go through there uh, kind of like this. You can't go waving your arms around. You have to go through and it turns and it lets in in one at a time. A, A gate like this teaches us a number of lessons about this road. First of all, it teaches us that there is no room for luggage. Bags won't fit through the small gate. You have to leave your luggage behind you. Now, in terms of luggage, in terms of this illustration, there are really uh, two types of luggage we have. The first one is our pride. We have to leave our pride behind. You can't take a big head through a small gate. You have to leave your pride behind. At the very beginning of the sermon, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we talked about being poor in spirit as being totally dependent on God, that we cannot save ourselves, and we need to rely on God for our salvation. We said that the gate is so low that you have to crawl through it. You need a saviour. You have to leave your pride behind. That's the first big suitcase. And the second suitcase is everything else, if you like. All of our, all of our stuff, all of our uh, old lifestyle, we have to, to leave those things behind. They won't fit through the gate. Jesus tells us in Luke 14 uh, to count the cost of discipleship. Listen to uh, these words. He said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. You've got to give up everything. You've got to leave everything behind. You can't take it with you through the gate. The gate is small. These two suitcases of pride and and everything else, they, they won't fit through the gate. We leave behind our old life, we leave behind our pride, and we go through the gate. We don't trust in ourselves or what we own, we surrender it all to God. And we come willingly through the gate, willing for God at the gate to strip us of all of the sinful desires, all of our self-righteousness, we leave it behind. We go through the small gate. So you can't bring luggage through a small gate. But secondly, through a turnstile, there is only room for one at a time. So everybody's responsible for going through the gate themselves. You can't go through the gate uh, holding on to your parents who are Christians. You can't rely on them to get you through the gate. You can't uh, go through the gate with uh, ch- sh- trying to uh, show a passport of church membership. That doesn't get you through the gate. You can't get through the gate because you uh, ha- belong to a denomination that teaches the Bible. That doesn't get you through the gate. You go through, one at a time, on your own, on God's terms, trusting Christ, who has paid for your sin, and submitting to him. So, no luggage, one at a time. Notice as well that there is one gate, one small gate. There's not lots of small gates, and you can pick your favorite. There's one small gate. It's exclusive. There is one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Another way you could say that is no one comes through the small gate but through me. There's one way. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. It's Christ alone. The gate is small, there's no luggage, there's one at a time, and there is only one way through. If you're looking for another gate, there isn't one. You're not going to find another small gate. It's only the gate that Christ describes here, the small gate. And then fourthly, you have to look for it. Jesus says, many enter the wide gate, but few find the small gate. He says, there are few who find it. That means you have to look for it. You don't just necessarily stumble across it. You seek and you find it. You look for the small gate. When I was growing up on on Dartmoor, we used to go, uh, it was called letterboxing. And Dartmoor National Park would hide... Uh, these, bo- these um, metal boxes under various rocks all over, Dar- all over Dartmoor. And you would go looking for them and in the box there was uh, a stamp and some ink and you'd have a book and you'd go and collect all the stamps of where you found them and write down where they were. It was a really fun thing to do. We should do it a couple of weekends a month. All around the moor, searching under the rocks. But you're not going to find a letterbox unless you're looking for it. You have to go and search and look. Often we had a map and it would tell us where certain ones were, but you had to look, you had to find it. And the Bible teaches us that if we, we look, we will find because he leads us to the small gate. And our map is, is the Bible, isn't it? The Bible teaches us how to find God. And we look in the Bible and it tells us about Jesus and what he's done for us. And then we can go through the narrow gate as we see it. The problem we have, though, is the world is blinded, isn't it, by the evil one. Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, For for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So as we're looking, God opens our eyes. He enables us to see the small gate so we can go through and find eternal life. So we need to pray, don't we? We need to pray that people will see. That the God who makes the light shine in the darkness will open people's eyes to see the small gate that leads to the narrow way, which leads to life. So there's two gates. Secondly, there are two roads, broad and narrow. There's a wide gate and lots of people can fit through the wide gate. And the broad road caters for them. It's broad in, in verse uh, 13. So there's plenty of room for people. But there's also, therefore, plenty of room on the broad road for all sorts of opinions. You can have any kind of opinion you want on the broad road. It's broad, mo- lots of morals. You can live however you like on the broad road. There's no restrictions from, from God. You can do whatever you like on the broad road. There's no boundaries You can think how you like. You can follow your desires. On this road, there are many religions and philosophies. Some of them think they're the only road, but really they're like a motorway. Lots of lanes, but they're all going to the same destination. And the broad road looks really attractive. Worldly success is on this road. It's an easy journey, comfortable. This road accepts you as you are. It doesn't make you change. It enables you to live how you like. It makes no demands off you. That's the broad road. Doesn't it sound brilliant? It sounds great, doesn't it? That you can do whatever you like, live how you want. And Jesus compares this to a narrow road in verse 14. Look at the first bit. But small is the gate and narrow the road. So narrowness speaks of boundaries that keeps you in. Now the boundary on the narrow road... Is the word of God. We walk along a path that follows God's word, and it is narrow. So, in our work practices, the narrow road means we will not lie in order to get ahead. We won't give in to unbiblical ways. We won't give money to charities, perhaps that are being that uh, the workplace are encouraging you to give to that promote unbiblical things. Then on the narrow road, Sundays are are set aside for worship of God and meeting together. It's quite a radical thing, you know, in, in these days just to go to church, isn't it? It's very different. On the narrow road, our relationships are restricted. We date Christians on the narrow road, exclusively Christians. Our sexual intimacy is within marriage on the narrow road. They're the boundaries that we have to follow. We're to be generous on the narrow road. There's restrictions with how we're to use our money and there's commands on how we're to use our money. And some Christians are called on the narrow road even to give their lives rather than to cave in to the culture around them. Jesus puts us under no illusions. This is a narrow road. It's not easy. It's difficult. It's a narrow road. God's word calls us to a life which is narrow. But God helps us on the path. He keeps us on the path by his Holy Spirit living in us, helping us to walk this narrow way. He gives us other Christians to support one another on the narrow way. There aren't many of them. It says there are few, but they are there. One author um, uh, described the narrow road as being hemmed in by God's discipline. That is on the, the narrow road. One of the ways God keeps us on the narrow road is by disciplining us. It's like there's, there's uh, thorn bushes on the, on the road, on the side. That if you go off, it hurts, but it keeps you on the road. And they're painful to fall into, and it's hard. When you're veering off, and you're trying to go your own way, and God is prodding you and pricking you to stay in, and it hurts. God won't kick us off the path but the consequences of staying on there can be painful as we're, if we're trying to get off it. On the narrow road, you have to daily choose to walk his way. And we have to strive to be careful as we walk the road. When, uh, we lived in Devon, and we drive, when you drive in Devon, you have to be very careful as you drive. The roads are very narrow. When we had family come from America, they made us stop the car and get out so they could take a photograph of the road because they said, when we get home, the folks are never going to believe that two cars can come on this road. And they literally did. get; They took photographs to take home because the roads were so narrow. But you can't put cruise control on in Devon. We've we've got cruise control on our car. You don't use it down there because you're always going to have your foot on the brake. You've always got to be ready to stop because something is coming in the other direction. Or there's an animal that's, you know, a sheep wandering around. Or all sorts of different things that are going on. You can't cruise control and just go. You've got to be very careful on those narrow roads. You have to walk carefully. You have to think as you drive. You can't fall asleep. It's not like going on the motorway. Motorway, you can put cruise control on. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I do that. And then an hour later... I think, well, where's the Aragon? I don't even know what I've been doing, but I'm safe because the motorway is fairly safe. But you can't live your Christian life on cruise control either because the narrow road needs careful driving. If we put our lives on cruise control, we make a mess of things, don't we? But there's a danger of thinking that the narrow way is dull. We might think, well, okay, the Christian life, it's worth it in the end, I know that, because in a minute, uh, Steve's going to talk about two destinations, and I know that heaven's worth it, but oh, I've got to trudge my way there. But that's not the case. The narrow road is difficult. The narrow road has boundaries, but it's not dull. In fact, I would argue, if you compare the lanes in Devon with the m 6 The lanes in Devon are harder, but they're way more interesting. And the sights are way better than driving on the M6. The Christian life is exciting. The Christian life is challenging. But it's the path to true joy and satisfaction if we trust God as we go along it. You see, the people on the broad road, they say that true freedom is no boundaries, It's real freedom if we can do whatever we like. But true freedom is not no boundaries. True freedom is living as God has designed us to live. Because as Christians, we're free to live as God intends us to live. That's true freedom. The narrow path doesn't always look the most attractive. But the narrow road is the road that leads to life. It may look unappealing, but it's the only way that leads to life. And that's the next point. uh, Two destinations, destruction and life. The wide gate may look more attractive, but look at its end. Destruction. And the meaning of destruction actually is stated earlier in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks about hell. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Uh, and verse 22, Jesus talks of it here when he's talking about anger. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, rakar is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fall," will be in danger of the fire of hell. And then just the next few verses on, Matthew chapter 5 and uh, verse 30. Or verse 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Hell is the, uh, the a, a description there of destruction. That is where the broad way is leading. The Broadway leads to destruction. It's not signposted as destruction. In fact, oftentimes, it's signposted as heaven. We'll see next week. There are false prophets even that tell you the Broadway is the way to heaven. No one on the Broadway necessarily realizes they're on their way to destruction. But that is where the road leads. Uh, in Psalm 73, Asaph Uh, is a a psalmist, one of God's people, who's wondering, is this narrow way worth it? Asaph's wondering, I'm looking around at those on the Broadway and it all seems good for them. They seem to be getting away with all sorts. He says, uh, uh, Psalm 73 verse 3, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He envied them. He looked at the Broadway and he thinks, well, look at them. Look at how easy their life is. It just seems so much better than mine. But then He says this in verse 18 of the psalm. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. In that psalm, he gradually, as he looks at God, he understands that the way of the wicked may seem good now, but it leads to hell and destruction. Well, compare it with the narrow way that's so unappealing to the world. Jesus says it leads to life. So that means life now, as in an abundant life. That's what Jesus says. I've come that you may have life and life to the full. But also it leads to eternal life. Uh, John uh, 3.16 there. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life is life in heaven, and it's described Uh, Like this elsewhere in scripture, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. That's the road, that's the narrow way it leads to eternal life. It's described as a place with no sickness or sadness or sin, glorious in God's presence forever. This is where the narrow road ends. One uh, old commentator, Matthew Henry, says that the gate Is straight or small, and the way narrow, and it seems uphill. But one hour in heaven will make amends for all. The narrow way opens up into eternal bliss, the broad way narrows down into a terrible pit. And the sad and awful truth is that many are on the wrong road, aren't they? There are two crowds. At the end of verse 13, Jesus says that there are many that enter through the wide gate. That means most people are on this road. Most people are on the broad road. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, that the narrow road is so hard for us because everybody else seems to be on the broad road. And the broad walkers, they all sneer at the narrow walkers, don't they? They look at Christians and they say, well, look at how narrow-minded they are. Look at how restricted their life is. And it can feel like everybody else is not a Christian and they're all laughing at me. And that perception oftentimes is true, isn't it? Because there are many on the broad road. Some people don't realize they're on the broad road. And this should spur us on, shouldn't it, to tell others about that. We've been given uh, Christmas invitations this morning. I encourage you, invite somebody. Find someone who is on that broad road and invite them to the Christmas carol service where they'll hear about how to go through the small gate to the narrow road that leads to life. But in verse 14, few find the narrow gate. The crowd is the few Eternal life is not found by following the crowd. The majority does not make righteousness. That should encourage us, by the way, when we do evangelism. This means that it is normal for us not to see many people come. Uh, when we were at the FIC conference this uh, last a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of the uh, speakers explained how even at Pentecost... There were uh, up to 200,000 people in Jerusalem at the time, and if 3,000 were saved, that was only 1.5% of the whole people that were there. And in the UK today, churches in the FIEC are growing by one or two percent a year, and for us in Pelsall, we are seeing people converted one or two each year. Now we shouldn't say, "Well, that's okay. Our jobs being we shouldn't allow our outreach to diminish." We should feel the full weight of the many thousands in our village that are on the broad road. But neither should we beat ourselves up when many don't come. But the fact that few find the gate should cause us to wonder that we ever did. Do you ever think about that? That that it's a a wonder that that the God who uh, turns darkness into light ever opened your eyes. The fact that you have found the narrow gate is a miracle of grace, isn't it? So from this uh, two verses, first of all, we we have an, an, an appeal here, don't we? An appeal from this passage to those on the broad road. Consider where you're heading. Jesus doesn't pretend that going on the narrow road is going to be an easy life. But he does promise us it leads to eternal life. And so if you're, on the narrow, if you're on the broad road, if you realize tonight that you have never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, that you've never trusted that when Jesus died on the cross that he paid the penalty for your sins and gave you eternal life, if you've never realized that, then I urge you from this passage, go through that gate the narrow gate that leads to life. Walk through it. Get on the narrow road because it's the only way to heaven. There's no other way. And so I urge you, get off the broad road because it's leading to destruction. But Jesus also here speaks to Christians as well. This Sermon on the Mount describes how Christians are supposed to live. And every week as we've looked at this sermon, it has challenged us. We've we've seen here what Jesus has said, and every time we look at it and we think, oh, that, that speaks to me. That challenges me. These things are hard to live by. And Jesus reminds us here, they are hard because it's a narrow way. But we walk it following our Savior who has walked the way before us. Think about how, about our Savior Jesus. Think about how He walked the narrow way. He always kept the boundaries, didn't He? He perfectly followed His Father's will. He walked the road marked with suffering. It was very narrow in the Garden of Gethsemane when He sweat drops of blood as He agonized over going to the cross. It was very narrow When he hung on the cross and people hurled insults at him. It was very narrow for him then, wasn't it? It was very narrow as he was forsaken by his father. That was the road for Jesus to walk. But where did that road lead? Resurrection. To life. Jesus rose from the dead. And the Bible says that he is the first fruits of a harvest of souls That will be joined with him in resurrected bodies forever. But we've got to every day wake up as Christians and get up and get walking on the narrow road. And we walk on it knowing that sometimes it's going to be hard, but it's the only way that's truly joyful. And we walk on it knowing that some days there is going to be great suffering. But we know that this leads to life. And some days you're going to look at those on the Broadway and you're going to look at their life and you're going to say, it would be so much easier if I was there. And you know what, it will be easier if you're there sometimes. But it leads to destruction. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? The Sermon on the Mount is the narrow way. But it's the narrow way that leads to life. Would you be one of the few that find it and walk it all the way to glory? We need God's help to do this. We can't do it on our own. We need his spirit to help us. But it's amazing that we're even on that road in the first place, isn't it? And we're going to sing a song to close thinking about how It is amazing that we're on the narrow way, but also it talks of how God keeps us in the narrow way. The song is, I will sing the wondrous story, and it tells the story of the Christ of Calvary, but it tells us how that God who died for us keeps us on the narrow way. So let's stand And let's sing these words which are wonderfully true and describe wonderfully what road we walk. But remind us that this road leads to life. So let's stand as we respond to these words.